I'm Leanne. And I'm Marissa. And we're continuing, continuing the, the conversation. conversation. Hey there, it's Leanne and Marissa. We are on with Jose Rodriguez Rivera. Jose, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I am me. My name is Jose. Um, I am currently the life support coordinator uh, at a little company called Life Team, uh, which does uh, great work with uh, the youth and empowers youth ministers in order to really create and build youth groups. Uh, prior to that, I was a youth minister in the wonderful Archdiocese of Atlanta, where I served for two and a half years at a great parish of uh, St. Brendan's and then two years prior before that uh, at St. Andrew. Um, I am a Tampa Bay native um, and I love my city and all of their sports teams. Um, I went to school there my entire academic career, including college, uh, wherein I got a wonderful degree in communications where I studied specifically culture and media um, at the University of South Florida. Go Bulls! Um, even though we got slaughtered against Notre Dame the other day and I just uh, I just wanted to cry. Currently still am. Um, I don't know. I love all the things. I am married uh, to my wonderful wife, Brianna, and we are expecting our first child in the end of February. So pray for Brianna and I as we are first-time parents. And we are both thrilled uh, and terrified like any other <laughs> first-time parent. More terrified than excited. Both still excited, but mostly just like, oh, this is, this is terrifying. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, so I've known Jose for about four or five years, something like that, um, since he's been since he was a youth minister in the archdiocese. And I asked Jose to come on today because we are on our podcast on continuing the conversation. So right now we're doing a series on racism. And knowing Jose, I know that this is a cause that's near and dear to him, and he has a lot of input to put in on it. So I thought we could talk to him a little bit more about his thoughts. Um, and Jose also, so what is your ethnic background? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I come from a very Puerto Rican family. I was born on the island um, before moving uh, over to the States. Um, our family is, Puerto Ricans are weird, man. Let me just, we'll start there. They're just all types of weird because we're just a mixture of pretty much everything. Um, you know, with the, you know, Indian settlers on the Taino uh, natives um, and, you know, you know, part, you know, Spanish, um, you know, royalty and also essentially part African-American slaves. So we're really just a real mishmash of everything. And you can really tell, if you, especially if you look at my family, because they look as white as snow and as black as midnight and there's like everything in between. That's <laughs> just the skin color of everyone. Um, and it really it honestly varies um, all over the place. It's just kind of, that's what our like DNA makeup is made of, essentially. It's really quite beautiful. We're all of the things. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah, so I actually, I one, I wanted to have you on the podcast because uh, you and I are friends and I've seen just on social media how much this cause means to you and how many great things you have to share about how you can really fight this injustice that exists in our country right now. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on the podcast. The other reason I wanted to invite you on the podcast is a little bit because of your ethnic background. So it was one thing, Marissa can share a little bit about this. So Marissa actually chose this series right now uh, that we're doing right now. And 
we chose it and our ministry team is me, Marissa, and then our director of youth ministries, Father Michael Brimmer. And we all kind of looked at each other and we were like, well, this is a little bit awkward, right? <laughs> we want to talk about racism and we're all white. And uh, we, Marissa was the one who she like, literally we were sitting here and she kind of turned her chair to me and she was like, we can't have all white people give the talks for this series. So I'm excited. You know, Paul Albert, he's coming to speak next week. So I'm excited to have him. Uh, but Love I also Paul. wanted, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, and he also, the same as you, just has had so many great things to share on social media to inform everybody a little bit more about this issue and inform everybody a little bit more about how to speak out against this issue. So that was another reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is, you have a different experience. You have a different cultural background than we do. We grew up in Johns Creek. All of our teens grew up in Johns Creek and it's a very different experience and you lived here. Uh, so I'm just curious, you know, in, in your time here or really just in your life growing up in Florida or anything like that, have you ever experienced racism? Yeah. And I think before we even get into that, I think what's really best is to really just define just what racism is. And I think a lot of people, when they hear the word racism altogether, and or if they're asked the question, have you ever experienced racism? I think people only validate their experience of racism if it's a very overt um, form of racism. Um, you know, being called, you know, racial slurs, of which I've been called many times. Um, many different things because people don't know what I am, especially when they don't meet me. So I've been called a, um, names numerous times. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be that overt though. Um, a lot of it, especially in, especially in the series that you're doing, the On the Table series, you know, um, microaggressions are like a very real thing. Um, you know, when people say something, when I was, I remember when I was in school, like I, was a typical like Hispanic kid hanging out with other Hispanic and black kids all the time just because that's where I grew up culturally and that's where I was you know but you get in a couple of these classes and you know I loved hip hop I acted quote unquote ghetto I had a lot of very large jerseys in the mid you know 2000s and stuff like that but you know when you get into some of these classes especially I had a couple of um honors classes, which tend to lean a little bit more white, just because that's just what it is. Um, but they'll say things, if I answer a question, especially in chemistry, which are, I would actually, I really like chemistry. I don't want nothing to do with it now, but I love chemistry class. And I would answer a bunch of questions and I asked them correctly. You know, I remember some kid being like, uh, like a white, you know, kid being like, man, you're smart for a Puerto Rican. Or, uh, you know, stuff like, you know, like, obviously, like, that's not, like an overt expression of racism but it's certainly a microaggression of racism or it's just like people will inherently think that this group of people is inherently dumb or not as smart as another group of people so when people say things like man you're smart for a you know yeah you're smart for a you're smart for a puerto rican it's like how else am i supposed to take that gee thanks buddy um you know so i had there was a good bit of that um in high school i felt a good bit of it um, I was certainly treated very um, differently when I got into college. I was very hot and cold with faith. Uh, so there were some days where I just didn't feel like just going at all. And other days where I was just like, I need to be with Jesus like all of the time. 
Um, so I would go to um, Adoration. Uh, my name, like the closest pairs to me, and I could like walk there. It took like you know, like a ten minute walk. So it's like you've seen this, you know, Hispanic kid, you know, with a very low hat on, you know, um, you look kind of like the stereotypical, you know, Hispanic kid, and you're, it's like, you know, midday at like 12, and there's adoration going on, and, you know, the looks you get, you know, when going into a church, and just like, are you lost? Um, you're just like, no, I'm going into the church to pray, and it's just like, have you been here before? And been going to that church there for like for like four and a half years. Like I know exactly where it's at. Thank you. Like it's like I look somewhat impressionable for you one way, but it it's it's really more subtle than anything. Um, definitely seen it in um, you know a couple of workplaces as well. You know they will treat they and they have treated. Uh, be differently and given other people opportunities, um, you know, especially for like promotions um, than me, that I know I'm, you know, that I put in good work and I'm respectful and all that jazz. And it's just like, I'm seen more as niche than just a person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you're just, sense. Yeah. You're just this guy that we come to because, you know, we can put you out in front of other you know, black and Hispanic, you know, you know, people, because you'll connect with them, but you, we don't want you to connect anywhere else because we don't think you'll fit there. That's a tough thing to swallow. It's that kind of stuff like that. So that's why I said at the beginning, it's like you really need to understand and just define what it is. It can certainly be overt, and we have seen many examples of it throughout American history, um, even now to this day. Um, but it really starts with the more subtle stuff, because the subtle stuff can essentially grow into something deadly, to be quite blunt. Yeah, so. absolutely. You, so you talked a little bit about your experience, like your personal experience in church and being uh, profiled a little bit. So with with both with both these like situations of overt racism and the more subtle microaggressions what do you how do you how are you looking to the church to respond to these situations in your ideal world uh, how do i look to the church to respond to those situations yeah. okay so just looking towards the church i know that in my frustrations with everything, I need graces. So I look to the church for me personally to receive those graces, i.e. sacramentally. So I look to the church to be, um, to receive um, sacrament of reconciliation so that obviously I go into doing or responding in any way possible with a very clean and compassionate heart. And obviously you look to the Eucharist every time to essentially feel you to do um, and, and to minister to people, again, with that compassionate heart. But um, if you're talking specifically in terms of, like, do I look to the church as, like, organizationally to help me out? No, because that is 
is one of the things that has frustrated me to no end in these last few months, in the last few years, and especially in these last few months. Um, because I think, especially when, you know, with everything that has been going on, you know, we look at yeah, everything that's happened with the mod operator and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and all of that stuff. From what I have seen from the church, it has been how do we respond to these things that are happening that keep white people feeling comfortable rather than this group of people here are really suffering and we want to minister to them. It's like, okay, we'll respond, but we'll make sure that we're not making the people who are unaffected uncomfortable. So for me personally, it has been incredibly disappointing, the response from the church, especially we're talking like USCCB and, and the archdiocese and really the bishops. Um, for me, it has been heartbreaking to be as blunt as I can um, because of their anemic response or sometimes just complete lack thereof. Um, and sometimes their complete lack of, in their statements, um, really addressing the pain of minorities and what the issue is. Um, yeah. I don't want to call out any bishops for their words specifically because I still work at a Catholic organization, but that's just how I've been feeling about it. Of which, if you want me to, I can't, but I prefer to keep my job. <laughs> we prefer to keep ours too. Yeah. So we appreciate that. But I also appreciate your bluntness in it too. Uh, because I think one of the things that we've been trying to drive home in doing this series too is it is uncomfortable for us. And we want to like just name that, and we want to say that for our teens too. I mean, we're a parish in Johns Creek, uh, predominantly white parish, very affluent, and we have said it time and time again in this series: is this is an uncomfortable topic to talk about, especially a topic to talk about among people who aren't experiencing racism, who have never experienced racism. But really, what the issue is is they're watching racism happen and they're not seeing it for what it is and they're not naming it and they're not doing anything about it. And that's why we wanted to talk about it. And that's why we wanted to have you on. So thanks for being really blunt yeah. and saying that. And the second question I have for you. So we've gotten um, a lot of people who are really concerned about the political factor in talking about racism. Mm -hmm. And especially with an election coming up, this issue has been really tied up in politics. And how do we have a conversation about racism without identifying ourselves as supporting a certain political candidate or party or really bringing politics into the conversation at all? Um, I think you need to bring it back to, um, okay, so I, let me, let, let's practice this. So I, that's a great question, first of all. How do you make it not political? Um, a few weeks ago, we had the, um, it was the beginning of the NFL season, right? And at the beginning of the season, um, there was the two teams that played and before the game even started, um, there was this moment where both of, the, both of the teams came together in the middle of the field and essentially just locked arm together. Um, as a 
as a sign of unity to, um, you know, to really, you know, advocate for the continuing, you know, racial struggle that is happening here in America and really around the world. And I remember I was watching that game and as they're doing it, they just had a bunch of things listed like on the little, um, the big screen that they had and were just like, you know, we believe, um, you know, uh, that every life is, that every life matters, that black lives specifically matter, that we're gonna work for continued racial justice. Um, and they just put that, and they didn't, then the rest of the team didn't say anything. They just locked arms together. And it was really quite a beautiful moment. And then I remember, cause they still had the mics on the whole time that the crowd booed them. And I was so kind of like, like nothing, you know, it wasn't like the national anthem was playing and people were kneeling because you know how people feel about that, however you want to think that. It was nothing along those lines, but it, all they did was lock arms together. They put seven sentences up there, um, just advocating for what they were doing, um, just for like a moment of silence. And in that moment of silence, people booed them. And how sad I felt about that. Um, and just disappointed. And I was talking to, talking to a friend of mine and he was talking about how he was reflecting on, he said he was reflecting on, you know, when Jesus was talking about the two greatest commandments where it's like, you know, we are meant to love God with all we all of our heart and our mind. And we love meant to love our neighbor um, as ourselves. And he followed by saying that, um, it's not so much that people disregard the second half, but more so that people are disregarding the first, because essentially what they're doing is actively worshiping themselves, actively worshiping their comfort, their worldview over the justice that is needed for others. And then he went on, on to say that, um, that we are people who, who love God first, then that means we have to love what God loves, and that is justice and mercy. Um, and in the booing at Arrowhead Stadium, where that happened, there was, there was neither. Um, so I think in the way to just take it away from politics is to think to ourselves, in my attitude towards this specific issue, Am I loving God and what he loves, justice and mercy? And am I loving my neighbor as I would want to be loved? And if the answer is no to any one of those, then it goes beyond politics. It's like, we need to, we need to change to be, to follow the commandments that Jesus taught us. So that's how I would probably look at it and look at it. Mm. That was beautiful. Sorry, that was much. <laughs> yeah, <for> that. <laughs> I feel like, I know I didn't know some of those weren't my thoughts, but I was just like, man, I remember hearing that and just be like, oh God, everything. Oh, that just all came together. And I, and it, it just it really is like that. Um and I hate the fact that it's tied to politics because I am I wouldn't say I'm not a political person, but I'm certainly unaffiliated with either major political party or any political party at all. Um, you know, we can argue one way or the other that one of these two candidates is, you know, advocates, you know, 
or doesn't do the best job of uniting people, especially among racial lines. Um, but I mean, regardless, since like, what are, if we if we think of if we hear the word racism, and the first thing we come to is that if the first thought that we you know comes into our minds is just like, oh, you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, instead of, man, have I loved God in this issue and have I loved others in this issue? You got a problem. Mm. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you, you go, you go. <laughs> well, what I was going to say, I'm going to change this question that I had a little bit in that, um, you know, what you're saying is very much what we're trying to convey in this series is just recognizing and loving the inherent human dignity in every single person we encounter, no matter their race, their gender, whatever it may be. But one of the things I want to ask you, so as an individual Catholic or Christian, what is your responsibility? And not only just your responsibility, but I want to ask you just as someone who I, I'm friends with and you and my husband are even closer and that I know you've, we've never made you feel less than or anything like that. But I want to ask you just in your relationships and everything, have you ever felt like your friends have really celebrated the difference in one another? What do you mean by celebrated? So the, and that was one thing that we talked about this week. That was my challenge to all the teens this week was to either find someone who you are good friends with or someone that you have wanted to be friends with, but something has kept you back because of the difference, but have said, I appreciate the way that we're different and I want to know more about our differences. Um, I've never done that probably, not like, explicitly probably because i've never been really challenged to do that um have i celebrated the differences of another sure my wife is super white um so, <laughs> uh, like she's extra white you know god bless her um i've certainly celebrated definitely the differences in how like um you know family is uh, handled how much they're like invited into you know, different conversations and stuff like that. She's certainly expressed, um, you know, celebrating the differences there. Um, I mean, if you ever been to like a, like a Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner, they're, they're night and day. If like my family puts it on and our family would put it on, not that those are bad, um, but there's certainly, it's, you know, it's very different there just because just culturally it's different. Um, so, I mean, you can certainly find the beauty in differences and if anything, even kind of come to even adopt some of those, you know, traditions, um, whether you're doing it consciously or subconsciously. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it makes me think of um, in college, one of my roommates, she's Mexican and surrounded by my my campus was not diverse and like all of our roommates all the rest of us were white and she was also in the bible study I led and one semester she just started blowing off bible study she would always skip it to go salsa dancing and at first I was like personally offended I was like I can't believe you're blowing off bible study just to like go out and be so like for a social thing and it wasn't until after like multiple months that I realized like we had a conversation about it and for her it was 
a way to connect with her culture in a way that she couldn't share with the rest of us. And I realized it was much deeper than I thought it was. And then, you know, she once she started spending time with the International Club at our school and had a community of people who understood her culture, I think she felt a lot more at home there and even was more comfortable with like sharing with us. We had a couple a couple of days in our house where she made, uh, she taught us all how to make tamales. It was amazing because we had like a hundred and they lasted for a month in the freezer. But did you ever go salsa dancing with her? I did not go salsa dancing with her, but she did teach me in our living room. Um, I'm not about <laughs> <good> it. <laughs> but yeah, you really don't. I, and at, at times, you really don't. Um, I don't want to say the, the like cliche phrase, know what you got till it's gone, but it's like there's something like inherently that's part of you that like you don't really realize like how much you miss it and how much you love it until you like haven't had it in forever and then get it back at some point. You know, I haven't, I was, I haven't been able, been able to like really um, see family uh, since we moved out to to here in Tempe, Arizona. But I remember the day that I found a very like the most Puerto Rican restaurant here in like Phoenix, of which you know is a wonderful place. A lot of Hispanics around. Uh, but it's mostly like, it's mostly just, it's South African and Mexican, uh, which is fine, but it's like in terms of culinary differences, in terms of cultural differences, it's just, there's not yet, it's just so many differences. People think at times all Hispanics are all the same, that's not true. We, oh God, not even close. And I remember going into this like Puerto Rican restaurant and it just being like New York Yankees hats everywhere, Puerto Rican baseball caps, airplane like Mark Anthony. The guy that took my order looked like Lin-Manuel Miranda. I was like, oh my God, this is, and then the food was like, I was like, if there is an old big woman, Puerto Rican in the back making a pot of rice, this is the most authentic thing I've ever seen. And all of a sudden in the back, I was just like, is that my grandmother? It wasn't. Yo, I remember like just eating the dishes that like took me back to like my childhood and being like, I can connect with this and foregoing going to eat somewhere else with my coworkers, even though they were all going. And I was like, whatever, I, I kind of need this, you know, just to, you know, feel it, not just feel it home, really. And uh, that was such a powerful thing. Oh my God. Um, and I still go there all the time, you know? So it's, you, you really kind of, you really, at times you really need it um, for both, you know, mentally and just to connect back culturally. It really is quite beautiful when you do that. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about, about celebrating differences, is I love hearing that from you, hearing about, uh, like, what feels like home to you, Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that that's so different for you than it is for me, and I like hearing about your traditions, and I like that you get to celebrate those, and that you found a little piece of home while you were here, and I think with all of my friends who have different cultural backgrounds, I really enjoy that from them, and I don't do enough of it about just celebrating the ways that we're different, the ways that our culture is different, the ways that we were raised are different, so I appreciate hearing that from you, too. So one of the things we've run into uh, in this series is, okay, so we can recognize that racism still exists in our country. We can recognize that it's still a major issue, 
how do we as individuals though, how do we practically enact change? What do we do? Don't be afraid to call it out when you see it, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Um, don't be afraid to, and, and to be quite honest, it, it, I think it is easy. And if we're talking about this is from like a Catholic standpoint, I think it's very easy for like Hispanic and black Catholics to call it, call it out. Um, but we, but there is also like a give and take. We also, we always want to call it out. Um, and be like, we need to make some like real changes here. It takes more than just quote unquote, continuing the conversation. Um, but it first starts with just like acknowledging that it's a problem, especially within the church. Um, but we need people that aren't minorities to call it out to. Um, we need people who are Caucasian to do it as well. Um, I've noticed that, you know, when, you know, black and brown Catholics call out, you know, racism, um, they tend to lose quite a bit. Um, some people lose um, jobs or opportunities. I've lost opportunities and jobs because I've called it out. Um, but it becomes really disappointing when you see it and it's so clear and it's so blunt. Um, and you feel as though that there is a lack of people calling it out, you know, from other white people. Um, because inherently, those are the people who have the most following. Um, and have the most influence. Um, so, and if they were to call it out, you know, what's the worst that happens? You know, they might lose a couple of followers here and there. But like, if white people say like, you know, like this is a problem, I have seen this before. And other people who follow them are like, man, like if this person who I admire and I follow is calling this out, then this is a real problem. Uh, the real issue is, you know, when, when, when they don't, um, you know, you'll see a lot of, I mean, it's really any type of, and especially we're coming from a youth ministry background. So all I think about is, is my team, um, which I don't have any, but I still call them my team. Um, you know, who see what's, you know, what's happening in the country and what's going on. And if they see the people whom they follow, you know, those like big speakers or those big musicians and they don't say anything, they either have one of two responses. And the first response is, well, this racism issue obviously isn't that big of a deal because the people that I follow and admire who tell me to love like Jesus does and follow the two greatest commandments, they're not saying anything about it. So it's clearly not that big of a deal. Or they think number two, this is clearly a big deal and these people aren't saying anything about it man, then this Catholicism thing is just, it's, it's just a lie. Um, and those are the two, two responses they get from it, which is why we need people of influence who, are, I mean, of the majority of which are Caucasian and white. Um, and that stems from a real long line of, we still haven't um, mended the um, the wounds that even the church here in America has caused, you know, it's historically documented that, I mean, there were Catholic parishes that were segregated, you know, uh, you know, during Jim Crow, there were documented priests and monks who owned slaves during the time. Um, 
and it's something that just needs to be mended. What was it that um, uh, James? There was uh, there's a theologian. His name is James Cone, who isn't necessarily Catholic, um, who said that. Um, oh my God, what's that quote? He said, "What is it about?" He says, "What is it about the Catholic definition of justice that makes?" I want to like. I don't want to get this wrong. What is it about the Catholic definition of justice that makes many people of faith progressive in their attitude towards the poor in Central America, but reactionary in their views to black and brown people here in America? Mm. It's like, what is it about is like, and you'll ask the question is like, is there something fundamentally flawed about the Catholic definition of justice here in America? Because, you know, even teens would be all day, be like, oh, we're doing a mission trip in like, you know, Central America, or we're going somewhere else. But it's just like, yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's certainly like people here at home and there's racial injustice here. And it's just like, oh, that's just a liberal progressive movement, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, there's something that has been lost in there. So essentially we, as a Catholic church, also need to mend the wounds that were there before. Um, our churches look increasingly and increasingly the same. You know, um, there's a good bit of Hispanics in there. Um, but what have we done for the African American community here in America? And on top of that, what have we done for the Hispanic community? here in America that doesn't see either of those communities as a problem to be solved, rather than a community that continually con comes in and takes ownership of how this Catholic community as a whole is run. Um, I think that's also one of the big things that like, as a minority, I know specifically, that's just annoying. Like we're just a problem to be solved. Like what are we doing for Hispanic communities or what are we doing for black communities? How much like, are we just going to give them money? It's like, it's not about just like solving a problem or solving an issue. It's about getting them continuously involved and making them feel welcomed. Not just about, I'm just going to, you know, go in, the, go in the streets and, you know, and do that. And then that's it. It's about continuously inviting them into the kingdom. As you know, we all know, like when we when we die, we're either going to go somewhere not that great or we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is going to look exactly, you know, what God wants it to look like. And I guarantee you, for some people, it'll be a shock. It's going to look a hell of a lot more diverse than what we have here on earth. And we are meant to make it. We're meant to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. And if it doesn't look how God has created us, which everyone created in the image and likeness of God, we got a big problem. Sorry, I felt like I went on a rant there. <laughs> no, no, that was great. So I think a stumbling block for a lot of people, um, not just with racism, but with any social injustice really and in responding to it, is they get overwhelmed. And there's all of these, well, where do I start? Like, I feel like I'm not educated enough or bold enough or like, I don't know enough about this issue to say anything. So... Mm -hmm. Where do you have any suggestions for like, where's a good place to start some good resources to start like for those who are really being 
awaken to this reality for the first time and want to learn more so that they can help more? Yeah, I think a good place to start really is just in the home and talking in the home and how we feel about it and having those conversations. If we feel comfortable enough having a conversation at home, then that's like the first primary step before having a conversation out outside. Um, probably I would tell everyone to really read your Bible and maybe <laughs> And it sounds, it sounds silly. Come on. But, Catholics don't read the Bible. Well, typical Catholics. Um, especially like beginning with like the Gospel of Mark. And then maybe even, even if you've read it before, maybe envision Jesus look like what he looks like as a completely different color than you. Mm. Like we, because I mean, and the Catholic Church hasn't done a great job of it either because, you know, we, tend to make Jesus look like a real specific, very, very whitewashed, you know, view of Jesus in a lot of art, a lot of famous art that's there too. So maybe even read through Mark and really see how he is compassionate towards someone. Like really take in and take time to do Lexio Divina. Like imagine if Jesus was, uh, you know, uh, a black man and he was talking to the woman caught in adultery, but she was white. Like just imagine how that, or, or vice versa or just a different, just a completely different color altogether. So start there would be one. Um, so yeah, talk to the parents at home, you know, read through the Bible, especially the Gospel of Mark, think of Jesus as a different color. Um, there's a wonderful book by Mr. Howard Thurman called um, Jesus and the Uninherited, um, which is a wonderful book that talks about um, how Jesus is essentially a representation of those who have suffered. Um, and if we look at the community of people, um, who are going through suffering, minorities, as like obviously the an embodiment of Jesus as well, how much that will change our perception of what we are meant to do, how we are meant to follow those two commandments, the loving God and loving neighbor. Um, those are three really great ways to, to start. So have the conversation at home, read the Gospel of Mark, Jesus and the Uninherited by Mr. Howard Thurman. It's a great book. Yeah, so I, the last thing that, well, I don't want to go too long, and I don't want to keep you too long either, but the last thing I thought of that I wanted to ask you was, uh, you talked about the first thing is have the conversation in the home, right? I want to go a little bit deeper into that. Uh, you sure. to be parent, me as a parent myself, too, and actually someone who was was raised with a lot of racist influence. Um, my My dad grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, during, uh, segregation and, uh, segregation ending. And, and I just, I've witnessed a lot of like pollution of the mind and things like that in my own family. And so it's been difficult for me to have conversations with my family, but then just as a parent too, I, I very much want to instill like to take away that pollution from my own kids. So do you have any mm. suggestions about that with because we really want this podcast to be not just for our teenagers, but for their parents, for all the, the families of our parish too. So just to speak to the parents for a second, um, how do you have those conversations at home? Well, how do you have those conversations at home? By doing so very, um, just very honestly and being like, I know that these people are suffering, but like, I don't know how to navigate it or like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I can help. Just being honest and straightforward and just being like, 
or being like, I don't, I don't understand the issue. Just saying it, sometimes saying it out loud just really, really helps. Um, I mean, I, re- I recommend everybody and their mother to get off of social media because it's making us, I think, far more polarized than any of the time before, um, which I have kind of ducked away from it after a long, that's just, I can't do it anymore. Um, yeah, it really takes, not only does it take to recognizing what you don't know, but also really, and I think where some people will get upset about it when I say this, just to recognize like there are people that have suffering and I don't know about that. And I can see like, I'm privileged to not have that experience, you know? Um, I, you know, uh, and, and people hate the, the, the phrase white privilege, I don't really care. It doesn't mean that everything that you have ever done ever as a white person is racist because it's not true. But to, um, but to recognize that there are um, privileges that you have had because of skin color is really a good place to start. Again, it doesn't mean that you're inherently bad. Absolutely not. You're made in the image and likeness. Praise God for that. Um, but throughout history uh, and the things that have happened throughout history, especially in America, like you are seen in a more privileged light than people of color. So I think you really have to start there. Again, that doesn't mean that you've, you've never struggled or like, you know, everything's been easy for you. It doesn't mean that by any means necessary. Um, but to recognize like where you have gained some privilege in your life and to see like, man, it probably is a lot harder for someone else who is a different, you know, gender or color than me. You know, it starts there too, because then you start to build that compassion of Jesus that's really there. Um, where you recognize like, you know, I haven't gone through this, but I know that you have and I'm gonna be compassionate towards you. I go back to the the story of Jesus and the adulterous woman just all the time as well. Um, like Jesus obviously didn't have that experience, but he's still compassionate towards someone who has gone through what is seemingly an incredibly like distressing time and a distressing moment. Um, and to also, also recognize that a person doesn't have to be perfect in order to receive love. Um, if, if, if that was the case, then we're all in some very big trouble. Um, I, I think there's always, um, a, there's always a thing, and especially, which is also something heartbreaking from what I see, especially from lots of Catholics is, you know, especially when a you know, black person is, you know, killed by police, um, we're very quick to be like, well, he deserved it or she deserved it and here's why. Like they were doing X, Y, or Z. They may not have threatened the police, you know, in that moment, but before that they were X, Y, Z or look at their record. It's like, imagine, again, imagine if Jesus did that to us every single time. Um, and praise God that he doesn't. So to recognize really their privileges, to recognize that people don't need to be perfect in order to receive love, mercy, or justice, 
are two really big main things. I like that perspective. Amen to that. I can't imagine getting to the gates and being like, well, you repented, but look at everything else you did. (laughs) I don't want to see that laundry list. (laughs) You committed this crime like two years ago. So yeah, I think you kind of, you had it coming. It's like, not really. No one, no one has it coming. No one has their life being forfeited by another, taken by another person. That's not how God intended it. And honestly, that is a very anti-life worldview. We lot of people think of just being pro-life as just being, you know, pro-baby and very anti-abortion. It's like no pro-life is viewing inherent dignity in every human person. And if we're okay with someone, you know, losing their lives just because whatever they were a bad person beforehand, congratulations, you are no longer pro-life. Yeah. And another big thing that people need to see and recognize. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your, all just all of this. Yeah, I don't have any questions for you, but this has been really enlightening for me and I hope it'll be really enlightening for our teens and everyone who's listening to our podcast. Uh, So thank you for taking the time. Um, I'm grateful for you as a friend and to have you on the podcast to talk more about this. Sounds great. I appreciate y'all having me. This is great. This is actually much more, um, I was kind of nervous coming into it and being like, oh, this is going to be like triggering. It wasn't. It was actually kind of, it was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to get that out of the (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, Jose. Um, We, oh, I love you. I think Marissa loves you too. Uh, (laughs) Love you too. <laughs> I'm praying for you and Bree. Um and thank you. Uh baby to be and we're excited. Oh. We're excited to find out with you when you find out the gender. We're excited to I'll let you know. Gender reveal party inside the hospital. We're not gonna do anything. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure so don't, I promise. don't start a wildfire. I think you're good. <laughs> I'm sure pass on that. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm sure that Jesse will get the updates and I will get them from him. So um <laughs> We're praying for you guys. We love you guys. And seriously, thank you so much for hanging out with us. No problem at all. Happy to do so. You guys have a great one. You You too. too.